Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. So, what if you could take a volcano and turn it upside down so that instead of that huge explosion going up into the sky, it goes down into the earth, and once it's down there, it releases this huge ocean of energy that could heat our homes for decades to come? Wouldn't that be great? Or would it? I'm John Donvan of Intelligence Squared U.S. Get ready for a debate, not on the upside-down volcano, because it is a metaphor, a flawed one, but on the principle of technology that works in a similar way. It is called fracking. And it is a debate because fracking actually is getting at an enormous amount of natural gas energy. But at the same time, it is feared that fracking could be having enormous and terrible toxic consequences, destructive to the environment and destructive to the communities. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, who will be arguing for and against this specific motion. No fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. Our debate will go in three rounds, then the audience votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. On the side, arguing for the motion, Deborah Goldberg, a managing attorney with the environmental law firm Earth Justice. Deborah, you've worn uh, many different hats, but now that you're in this field, I understand the way you came to it had something to do with birds. That's right. Um, my love for birds is what woke me up to the risk that climate change poses for biodiversity. And I got involved in fracking because we aren't going to be able to deal with climate change unless we end our addiction to fossil fuels. All right. Thank you very much. Your partner is Catherine Hudson. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Hudson. <laughs> Catherine, you are uh, an avid outdoors woman. Outdoors woman. You, you ski, you rock climb, you sail on the Hudson River. You spent nearly 25 years in New York State government working in the Environmental Protection Bureau of the Attorney General's Office and also uh, the Department of Environmental Conservation. So it sounds like you've been in this all of your life. But at one time, you were actually a probation officer? That's right. It was a bit of an unusual start for me, but uh, it is actually what pushed me to go to law school because I realized that I wanted to be part of the system. I thought I could make a difference if I was and not on the receiving end of the system. Thank you very much, Kate Hudson. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And here is arguing against the motion. First, Joe Nocera. Joe, you are an award-winning journalist working for the New York Times. Um, in April 2000, uh, you went to the op-ed page. And since then, some of your columns on energy have uh, brought down uh, fire upon your head. You've been referred to by Climate Pro uh, Progress as a member of the Climate Ignorati. Yes, I have. Uh, you've been de denounced by Robert Redford. Yes, I have. Uh, so so did, did you see all of this coming your way when you took um, your stance? You know, when I first started writing about 
energy issues in the op-ed page. I was surprised that I was not surprised that people were disagreeing with me. I kind of expected that, but I was surprised by the vehemence of it. Um, the only time I've ever been accosted in the grocery store for a column I wrote was after one of my fracking columns. We'll see what happens here tonight. Let's meet your partner. <laughs> also arguing that the natural gas boom has been a good thing for the country, Susan Tierney. She is a managing principal at Analysis Group, uh, where she consults on any energy economics and environmental issues. She has been in government uh, for the state of Massachusetts and uh, was also an assistant secretary for policy at the U.S. Department of Energy during the Clinton administration. Interesting thing, you were an art history major. Yes. So, so what does this say? What is it, is, are the art historians doomed if they're all going into energy? Uh, what it means is that I was a pretty mediocre artist, and so then I thought, well, art history, that's kind of right. And then I was a pretty mediocre art historian, so I did whatever anybody in that circumstance would do. I became a policy wonk. All right. We'll find, we'll find out more. So on to round one. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And here to speak first for the motion, Kate Hudson. She spent nearly 25 years in New York State government serving in the Attorney General's office and in the Department of Environmental Conservation. She is now the Watershed Program Director at Riverkeeper, a member-supported clean water advocacy group. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate Hudson. Yes, the gas boom is doing more harm than good. But why? Simply, the gas companies are rushing forward in the face of too many unknowns and too little control. In essence, these companies are engaged in an uncontrolled experiment, which is resulting in extreme and, in some cases, permanent harm to people, communities, and the environment that cannot be compensated for by any possible benefits. But what exactly is fracking? The process begins with cutting access roads through the existing landscape and stripping a site about the size of five football fields to serve as a multi-well pad. Then the drilling rig will arrive, along with thousands of truckloads of equipment, water, sand, and chemicals that will be used to drill thousands of feet into the ground and miles horizontally. This is followed by the actual fracturing of the well, which involves repeatedly forcing two to eight million gallons of water and hundreds of undisclosed chemicals underground, under pressure, to fracture the rock, allowing the gas to escape. Then something must be done with a large quantity of contaminated wastewater, up to several million gallons per well. If not properly handled, the methane may find its way into nearby drinking water wells. It may also be released into the air. To give you a clearer idea of how this fracking process is impacting people and communities, imagine that you go home tonight and find out that your next-door neighbor has signed a lease with a gas drilling company without asking you. What can you expect from this industrial activity going on next door? Even though you didn't choose to lease, you will be exposed to the same risks of contamination to the water you drink and the air you breathe as your neighbor. Fracking-related spills occur on average once every three days in Colorado. Moreover, the industry has no safe disposal plan for this waste. Much of it is currently injected into underground wells, but this practice has been linked to earthquakes and there's growing evidence that these wells are leaking. The one pr once pristine air in fracked parts of Wyoming is now worse than the air in Los Angeles because of this. The few studies we do have show increased risks of cancer and respiratory diseases in gasland communities linked to the, these releases. Like your leasing neighbor, you will be unable to escape noise, that can sound, the constant day and night truck traffic, 
estimated by New York State at 4,000 truck trips per well. Gas pipelines cross your property, whether you agree to it or not. Proponents argue that the economic benefits outweigh these risks of harm. But what are the supposed benefits of this industrial activity? Almost literally in your backyard, the economic benefits for you will be limited. There will be access to cheap natural gas, at least for a little while. But it won't last for very long because the amount that can be forced out of the earth is limited and will run out. But even more important, it will not remain cheap because industry will be doing everything it can to increase the price of gas, including exporting America's gas to other countries where they can triple, get triple the price on the U.S. market today. The drilling will bring jobs, at least while the drill rigs are in town, but not very many and not for long. And these gas industry jobs are some of the most life-threatening in the country. What is clear is that gas companies are not willing to wait. The natural gas boom is moving forward as a large, uncontrolled experiment. Whatever transitory benefits fracking may provide is outweighed by all of the harms that it currently brings. But even more important, there are some harms that simply cannot be compensated for. If you can no longer live in your home or continue to work your family farm, if you lose your health, the health of your child, if you lose access to drinkable water or breathable air, as individuals and communities across the fracking states have, there is no good that can outweigh such harms. The only defensible course of action is a cautious one. The only reasonable and fair answer is no, no fracking way. Thank you, Kate Hudson. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And now here to speak against the motion uh, Joe Nocera, he is an op-ed columnist for the New York Times and a regular business commentator on NPR's weekend edition Saturday, award-winning journalist and a best-selling author. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Nocera. Uh, in, in Kate's opening statement, uh, there's one word that she didn't use, and that word is coal. And we're going to use that word a lot on our side of the ledger because part of the case for natural gas is it's the best single way to diminish our use on coal, of coal. And coal is, without question, the most environmentally hazardous fuel that we have in America. Um, fracking is here, and we have to regulate it. It's not that impossible. We regulate banks. We regulate children's toys. <laughs> we regulate automobiles. But when it comes to gas, we are, in a, we, are in, we are in a golden age of gas. That's what we're in. It's not like we have a little bit of gas that we're, we're busy trying to extract here and there and it's going to run out tomorrow. We have something on the order of 2,000 trillion cubic feet of gas. We use about 24 trillion cubic feet a year. So we have about an 80 to 100 year supply right now. That means, among other things, that gas is incredibly cheap. Right now, it's in the $2 range. It probably, yes, it probably will go up to the 4 or $5 range, which still makes it much cheaper than most other fuels and makes it very competitive with coal. Cheap energy is an enormous boon for the country, just cheap energy across the board. It, 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 it increases our GDP. It has enormous ramifications uh, well, beyond, well beyond jobs. Natural gas also has the ability to be a transformative fuel and a bridge fuel as we think about moving to renewals. So, so economic benefits is one kind of benefit. A second kind of benefit, obviously, is the energy security benefit. Think about a world 
where you don't have to worry about cartels. You don't have to worry about being dependent on our enemies for oil. A world where, where foreign policy is not dictated by our needs for oil. The ability of the United States to have its own resource once again in a way that we never thought we were going to is a tremendous gift that's been handed to us. And fracking is the way that we're taking advantage of it. Now, the third aspect that I want to talk about is the environmental benefit, which is real and which is happening now. As recently as 2009, 45% of the power generation in the country was coal. 23% was natural gas. Today, it's about evenly split. This is a great thing for the country. Um, natural gas is as half the C2, uh, CO2 emissions than, than uh, coal. 90, coal has 90 times more sulfur dioxide, five times more nitrogen oxide. Coal is the dirtiest fuel we have. And so the ability to switch to natural gas has the potential to transform, transform the country. Thank you. Joe Nacera. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion up for debate, no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. So a, a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two against two, fighting it out over this motion. No fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. You have heard from the first two debaters. Now on to the third. Deborah Goldberg is a managing attorney at Earth Justice, an environmental law firm that provides legal representation at no cost to more than 1,000 clients ranging from large national groups like the Natural Resources Defense Council to small community coalitions. Ladies and gentlemen, Deborah Goldberg. We are here to decide whether or not the natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. So what characterizes a boom? It's big, it's sudden, and it blows a lot of smoke. And the natural gas boom is doing all of that to an extreme. It's too much, it's too fast, and the hype is just over the top. So why do I say that it's too much? The most serious health and environmental impacts of fracking are largely due to very intensive gas development. We have 500,000 gas wells in this country, nearly 3,000 in one county. Our bodies and our ecosystems can absorb a certain amount of abuse and still bounce back. But at a certain point, it's just too much. Take Pennsylvania, for example. In the beginning, Pennsylvania was letting the frackers take their wastewater, which is contaminated with very high levels of salts, to sewage treatment plants, where it was diluted with the sewage and then discharged into rivers and streams. In short order, we had a water quality violation in the drinking water supply for 350,000 people. And what's more, Pennsylvania realized that if they continued to let the frackers take that amount of waste to sewage treatment plants, they would salinate every freshwater stream in the state in a period of two years. The same dynamic operates on a global level. Our atmosphere can absorb a certain amount of greenhouse gas emissions, but if we release too much, the climate warms to a point of catastrophic change. And the natural gas boom is taking us to that tipping point. A recent study showed 
that the leakage from fracking is about 4% of production, and the science have recognized that at that level, gas loses its entire climate advantage over coal when it's burned for electrical power. The boom is not only too big, but it's way too fast. It is out ahead of the science. We do know, as a result of lots of public pressure, that some of the chemicals that are used in this process are toxic. But there are many chemicals that have never even been tested as to their toxicity. We don't know where the wastewater that stays down below is going to migrate in 20, 30 years or more. There are hundreds of millions of dollars being spent to ensure that this industry can continue to operate without the science and without the protections we need. As a result, what we are hearing now is not how we're going to end our addiction to fossil fuels, but instead, 100 years of gas. Now, 100 years of gas is based on extracting every molecule of gas from all of our reserves, even those that we haven't actually discovered yet, when it is well known that only about 10% of those reserves tends to be economically feasible to develop. And if we switch our power plants over to gas and our transportation system over to gas and our heating and cooking system, and then on top of that, we export liquid natural gas to other countries, how long is that abundant resource going to last? And at what price to our health and environment? If we get this wrong, there is no turning back. Thank you, Deborah Goldberg. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And now our final debater speaking against this motion, Sue Tierney. Sue is a managing principal uh, at uh, Analysis Group, where she consults to businesses. She's a former assistant secretary for policy at the U.S. Department of Energy and is a current member of the Secretary of Energy's advisory board. Ladies and gentlemen, Sue Tierney. Good evening, everybody. Let me tell you why their position that the costs of developing natural gas are simply not worth the benefits is wrong. First, what they didn't tell you is that there is absolutely nobody in the United States, no entity that could actually uh, introduce this proposition and make it so. There are millions, hundreds of millions of decision makers in our energy system. We rely on regulated markets, consumers and suppliers all around the country. Every one of you is making energy choices every day. States don't have the authority to completely stop this. No single state could stop this, nor could the federal government. On the consumer side, Americans tend not to think very much about energy. What they think about is getting to their job or getting to the shop where they hope to find lots of options. And it's those realities that people don't think about energy that much that makes this a really hard issue to deal with. Everybody wants energy 24-7. They want it pretty cheap. Many say they'd like it to be clean, and many really suffer when prices go up. Uh, Deborah and Kate have set up, in some sense, a false dichotomy. They make it seem as though natural gas is evil, so everything else is pure. Uh, We know that that's not the case. Surely we should be developing more wind and solar power. Uh, I'm sure everyone in this uh, audience agrees with that. Wind and solar are expected to grow, but even if they're 10 times as much as they are today, we're still talking about a long way to go and a small portion of the supply. And I hope we get there. It's very hard. But these and every other energy choice are really pretty hard and very complicated. 
Why else would Japan be restarting its nuclear plants uh, so soon after the Fukushima disaster? It's because they need energy. Why else would Pennsylvania be opening up its shale gas resources for the development? They'd like some jobs and economic uh, benefits associated with it. Now, certainly in a compartmentalized way, Americans often get really agitated about energy choices, but it's usually when it hits their backyard. Unfortunately, every form of energy is in somebody's backyard. Think about it. Every type of energy facility that you can think of has split communities, whether it's a wind farm in Cape Cod, the power lines across the Midwest to tie the America's Saudi Arabia of wind to the people using wind uh, in other parts of the country. Nuclear plants, it's the case for. Shutting down existing coal plants. Split communities apart. These splits typically come down to jobs versus the environment, and that's surely the case here. Where I do agree with uh, Kate and Deborah is that shale gas development does have important environmental and community impacts. Should we regulate natural gas development more? Absolutely we should. Is regulation improving? Absolutely it is. But do we think that the United States should take shale gas off the table? No. That's unrealistic. It's not even sensible. Sue Tierney, your time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where the motion being argued is no fracking way the natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. We have two teams of two members each here arguing against this motion, the team arguing against fracking. We've heard them say that the price to be paid for getting the gas out of the ground is just too high, that it is an environmental threat, that it will ruin communities, that it is more expensive than it seems, that in fact that the harms will outweigh the benefits that were laid out by the other sides, and they're basically saying that the boom is getting ahead of science, that we don't know what we're getting into. The other side, Sue Tierney and Joe Nocera, the defenders of fracking, the enthusiasts are saying, yes, there are risks involved, but they're manageable. Regulations can be put into place, and they compare it to coal. Against coal, natural gas, they say, looked pretty clean. And I want to go first to the side that's arguing, the the supporters of fracking. Your your opponents have have made this statement that the, the boom is getting ahead of science. Until we know a lot more, particularly on the environmental issue, we should slow down to stop. Well, first of all, I think we do know a lot. In any kind of boom, it is correct. Industry goes in, and, and the environmentalists have done a great favor to the country because they've gotten on top of the fracking issues early. But we do know that there's methane leakage, and there are, there's science going on right now to figure out what that leakage is and how to make the well casings better. You know, the issue of the chemicals. You can go to websites now and see some of the chem- most all of the chemicals. Uh, certain states have passed laws that demand that the chemicals be revealed. Over the last four or five years, you have cases like New York State, which is not doing, which stopped fracking until they could study it, and now they're getting ready to open it up in a small way. Deborah Goldberg, your opponents say we do know a lot about the science. Well, let me be very clear right from the start that neither of us have argued that it should stop right now. What we have argued is that the boom is the problem, that it's going much too fast, and it's outstripping both the science and the protections. So we think that what, for example, what New York has done makes a great deal of sense. But to Jonas Sarah's point where he says actually we, refuting you and saying that we actually do know a good amount now, can you take that on? Well, we learn, we have learned more recently, 
But the fact of the matter is there's a great deal that we don't know. And the reason that we don't know that is that the industry has done everything in its power to keep us from getting the data that we need in order to really do the studies. So, for example, as I, I've submitted a Freedom of Information request to New York State's Department of Environmental Conservation, asking them for the results of water quality studies that they had done in connection with oil and gas development in the state. And what they told me was, we don't have any. All right, so, so John, yeah, I'd like to weigh in on this one. Um, one of the things that uh, the debate about what we know about science focuses on is the question of how much methane emissions are leaking from the entire life cycle from the production well all the way to the consumer's burner tip. Uh, and we actually, there's um, a, a great deal that we know about that. We don't know everything. We should know a whole lot more. Deborah pointed out wait, a... What, 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 what does that mean, then? Is, is, is Deborah right? If, if you're conceding that more work actually needs to be done, why not pause? What's the harm in pausing? Uh, there are a number of different harms. One of them is the billion-dollar, uh, the multi-billion-dollar contribution that lower natural gas prices has provided for the United States economy. Another reason is the, uh, the development of chemical jobs and industries that are coming back to the United States because natural gas is a feedstock that's affordable. The greenhouse gas emissions that have been reduced in the last three years, there are much lower greenhouse gas emissions. All right. So, Kate Hudson, your opponent, is saying that the benefits train has left the station. The good stuff is happening, and to, and to, and to slow down the program would cause those, those list of harms you just went through. I, I think that the, the benefits that, that have just been recited are, are questionable. For instance, luring the petrochemical industry back into this country. Is that really what we want? Or shouldn't we instead be trying to move towards a green economic future for our children uh, rather than having those fossil fuel-based industries come back? Jonas, sir? It's a big country. We need lots of different kind of jobs. Of course we need green jobs. We need other kind of jobs, too. No, I, I, I want to actually go to the, the subject of jobs. And what is happening already is when the rigs come into town, there are lots of jobs that come up, truck drivers. They need a lot of truck drivers. They frack the wells, and they leave. And then the economy busts. And the record is that those economies are in worse shape than before the extraction industries came to town. I have a question for the side that's arguing against fracking. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for some clarity on, on the positions you have staked out. And it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be agreeing with each other, but I feel as though you're not necessarily. Because Kate Hudson is saying having the petrochemical industry retake root here, particularly in new parts of the country, is not in a very attractive idea. At the same time, um, Deborah, you're saying, well, we're not against fracking. We just want fracking to be good. So is this team ag against fracking against the petrochemical industry, you know, working here, or is it not? I think that what we are, we are not saying stop everything all at once. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Kate is saying that either. We know that we need some natural gas probably to keep the lights on for a while. The really big problem is that the focus on this industry and the power and wealth of this industry is actually derailing the attempts that we have been making in the past to move ourselves to uh, an energy, an economy that would actually be sustainable in the future. So neither of us are saying that there aren't advantages in some, in some situations between putting in a 
a gas plant, say, or a coal, instead of a coal plant, if we really knew what the life cycle methane emissions were. And we no. actually... But, John, let me talk about the methane emissions and what we know about the science there. Uh, there's been one study by Cornell University that looks at the methane emissions and has concluded that the methane emissions associated with the entire life cycle of natural gas make it worse than coal. The, the study has been tremendously critiqued by peers for a number of ways in which that study does not rely on what people know to be the case about emissions. There are two or three other technical reasons where the peer critiques have said these all exaggerate the emissions. Most of the the reasonable science has said that coal, when you combust coal at a power plant, it will have twice as much emissions of greenhouse gas, including methane, uh, than coal. Can I respond to yes, that? Yes, please, Deborah Solomon. So there's not Deborah just Goldberg. one study, but there, uh, there's a variety of studies. And they rely on information that comes principally from the industry. I know of only one study that actually went out into the field and measured the emissions from the, the gas field. And that study showed that our methane emissions are about 4% of production. Now, I agree that we could reduce those if we had better regulations in place. But the industry is out there fighting those regulations. But, John, I well, really Let me bring can't. Joe Nassari in. And Joe, I, no, Joe, let me put the question to you, because you're, you're a journalist. You, you're tra- paid to be cynical about things. Our, our corporation, you, you made the point that you think the environmentalists are actually the ones who have squeezed information out of the corporations. Is that because that is the dynamic? In other words, your opponent's no, I, right, that, that the corporations di- are dodging and weaving? I think the dynamic is actually pretty different. Um, Fracking was not started by Exxon or Shell. Fracking was basically a bunch of small companies who really developed the technology, as innovators often do, and then the big boys came in. The environmentalists correctly said, this needs to be cleaned up and it needs to be regulated and needs to be looked at more closely. And what has happened is that the the objections and the rising concern has basically caused industry, especially the big guys, to say, you know what, we really would like to be on the right side of this. There are lots of things like that going on. Now, part of the problem is that you can't rely on industry best practices. You have to regulate it. And part of the problem is that the regulation is mostly done by the states, not by the federal government. And so you're sort of dependent on uh, appropriate state regulations. Pennsylvania, when they began, didn't regulate it very well. They've learned a lot. All it right. is getting better in Pennsylvania. Kate Hudson, I mean, uh, Joe Nacera paints a por- portrait of the situation getting better in terms of both government regulation stepping up and companies fessing up. Well, I would like to point out that one of the reasons why we're stuck with state regulation is because the oil and gas companies lobbied their way out of at least a half dozen federal environmental laws and requirements. I'm I'm not particularly impressed by the uh, example of Pennsylvania, which the communities in that state and the environment in that state has suffered greatly while the state played regulatory catch-up. Just, I just want to know where this side draws the line, though, because you've, you, you've said now a couple of times you're not against fracking, you're against the pace and the enthusiasm. Do you see a future where the regulation that you're asking for is so effective and the science has been so checked out that we do go, go ahead and have 80 years of fracking in that area, and that's okay with you? 80 years of fracking is not okay with us. We need to get off of fossil fuels a lot faster than okay, that. So, uh, okay, so... Okay, so... 
So let's assume you could shut down fracking tomorrow. And your vision is that the consequence of that would be that this would cause a rush to renewables. But that's not what would happen. It would cause a rush to coal. The market is buying energy based on its price. And one of the reasons renewables have had so much trouble is because they have a hard time competing with coal. Coal is the hardest thing to compete with because it's cheap. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion up for debate, no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S. from the Aspen Ideas Festival. The motion up for debate, no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. Welcome back to the program. Okay. Question I want to put to this side. Jonas Aaron, in his opening remarks, talked about a part of this we haven't touched on it yet. National security. Um, the ability to, you know, have our own private, in oil field terms, Saudi Arabia, right in our own pocket, right in our own country. We don't have to deal with these folks anymore. We can, we can try to realize the fantasy of energy independence. And that this is something that we've been dreaming about for 40 years. And, and, and your side, basically, you seem to shrug at that and, and not treat that as really, really great. So I'd like to know why you think that that's not necessarily germane. Well, I would say, first of all, Joe was very careful to talk about national, national secu- or energy security and not energy independence. And I don't think that most economists and energy experts think that what we want is independence in the sense that we aren't going to do any trade on energy issues with any other country. What they are talking about is we want to be doing that trade with people who are our friends. What we have done is we have seeded a lot of the industry that is developing, for example, photovoltaic solar energy to China. And so if we are not going to actually speed up our development of of the renewable energies here, and instead we're going to be diverted into a... 80 years of gas, then we are going to be at a point sometime when we don't have the resources, the renewable resources, and we're going to be importing them from China. Right now. Sue Tierney. The geopolitics of natural gas and oil are are pretty compelling when you look around at a lot of different areas of the world. Uh, Parts of Western Europe have been held hostage by getting natural gas across pipelines crossing the Ukraine from Russia. And that has created tremendous problems. So the, the ability for them to be able to get natural gas from friendly areas is a very compelling story. Same is true for China. China actually has a very large shale gas uh, deposits. They are very interested in learning the know-how in the United States uh, associated with this technology. If China is able to use natural gas, they may not build as many Soviet-style nuclear reactors. They may not have uh, challenges with the Middle East oil problem, which is uh, their own internal demand is driving. All right. I want to go to questions from the audience now and um, right there. Thanks. Uh, My name is Erin Griffin. Uh, My question has to do with water usage. As... Um, Colorado in the southwest is projected to become drier um, as the climate warms. Do you think that diverting millions of gallons of water into natural gas wells is an appropriate use of a resource that's already becoming more precious? So, y- so, so John, let me try this. Um, I'm on the National Climate Assessment 
study right now on the impacts of a changing climate on the energy sector. You're absolutely right that places will be drier. There'll be more pressure on energy supplies. But I want to give you the water use for different fuels. Biofuels ethanol, 5,000 gallons of water per MMBTU of energy. Coal, 23 gallons of water per MMBTU of energy. Conventional gas is two, and shale gas is two. And how much is wind? uh, Wind is wonderful. And we'll we'll quintuple it. We'll we'll do ten times the amount, and we still will have a little bit. Is is it true, though, that... I'm just trying to go back to sixth-grade science when... It rains, and then the water evaporates and goes up and becomes a cloud again, and then it rains and comes back to earth, and it's a circle. But that in this process, once the wastewater has truly been used to the point where it can't be recycled, that it's stored, under, you know, un, it's stored in wells well underground in perpetuity. So that water is taken out of the sixth-grade circulation permanently. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Is that um, worrisome? Around or? the country uh, for decades and decades, Underground injection has been the water treatment process of choice. There are parts of the country where that cannot work because of the geology underground. So I want to know if the quantities of water that, that essentially are being taken out of circulation in a broad sense is, is significant. Now, we understand that it can impact at a local level, but in a broad sense, are we talking about a significant amount of the Earth's water? I haven't really looked globally. And, of course, the answer to that question is how much fracking do we do? So, for example, in in the West, we do have major problems with drought. We have forest fires right now. It's projected to get much worse. In the East, we have a lot more water than we have in the West. And the water contamination issues are more serious from our perspective than the water quantity. But on the other hand, you know, if you look locally at, you know, headwater streams where we have native trout, you can back, you back up your truck to one of those streams and you can drain it dry. And that has happened in Pennsylvania. The, John the country has um, historically, uh, in other forms of uh, energy production, oil for instance, set aside land and said, thou shalt not drill here. And, you know, New York is doing the same thing uh, with its watershed. And it, it doesn't seem to me unreasonable to say, yes, fracking, fracking is a good thing for the country, but it has some risk, and therefore there are certain places we won't do it. That seems like a completely reasonable approach. I would agree. But to me, that means that you're agreeing with us that we need to scale back. Because we have to. No, much. that's, we don't that's have to actually do. saying you would do it surgically where you know you want to protect things, um, such as the unfiltered water supply of New York City, which is the way it's supported there. And I'm great that we found this common ground <laughs> because that isn't what the industry is saying in New York. I can we assure you. We are not the industry. I know that. <laughs> Thank Sir, goodness. In the, in the center. Yeah, thanks very much. Can I just, um, well, yeah, like sure, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to say that I think that the picking out special places that will be protected from fracking has some serious environmental justice issues around that. So the city, the people who live in New York City, their drinking water will be protected. But other people in other parts of New York City, their drinking water will not be protected. I think that's Actually, a significant policy question. Most of New York City's water supply, as you know, comes from the aquifers upstate. So we're talking about all of New York City, if, if that's what you were thinking. No, she's about. talking about all of New York State. The, you know, we do want to see every Never community protected. 
um, not just ones that have a huge amount of political power in, in downstate. And, and we don't want to be in a situation where the industry is going into the most economically depressed, most politically powerless areas, and that's where people are not only unable to um, make a living, but they're now being asked to shoulder disproportionate burdens on their health just to keep food on the table. Sir? Uh, could, could you stand up for us? Thanks. My name's, my name's Kevin All, and I'm an engineer in the oil business. I have fracked wells in Pennsylvania, fracked wells Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. You give the impression that the science has to catch up. Do you have any idea how long we've been fracking wells? We have been fracking wells, not for shale gas, for many decades. But the shale gas fracturing, which includes two technologies used together, the horizontal drilling and the hydraulic fracturing, has been used seriously only for about a decade. And it's the impacts of the shale gas drilling that are driving all that opposition because we are not prepared for the volume of, of the wastewater. And we have nobody out there in the federal government and in many states that are looking cumulatively at all of the impacts. Okay. Sir, so right down the front there. I thought I understood the question that we were going to vote on before I came in here. But as, as this has continued, it seems to me we're talking about matters of degree. So when we do cast our vote, are we voting for no fracking with this uh, red sign that says none? Or are we voting for some degree of fracking that's controlled? That it sounds to me like you're both saying the same thing with different, different degrees of militancy. All right. Let me... First of, all, first of all, just to, to, to clearly clarify, we're not saying no fracking at, at all. We're, the, the motion says that the cost-benefit analysis, it's a judgment on the cost-benefit analysis as opposed to immediately making a policy decision. That said, where is, the, where is the disagreement between these two sides? Well, I was worried about that, actually, when we were going into this, because <laughs> it seems to me that we're probably much closer than the organizers of this event might have thought. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't agree. I think... I, I think See, he, that, he doesn't agree with you already. So. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. The, the people on, on, on this side believe that the issues of the economic benefits, the uh, security benefits, and even the environment, mental, environmental benefits make fracking the benefits far outweigh the cost. That is our view. I don't think you've said anything that really has changed our minds on that. The, the issue where... Do we care about having it done right? Yes, we do. Do we think the benefits are tremendous for America? Yes, we do. But I would say that the question is not whether we can do it right at some point in the future, but whether we're doing it right right now. Right now. All right. I have to say that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Thank you. Now we go on to round three, and round three is where each of the debaters has uh, a last chance to persuade you to their point of view or to persuade you that they've actually presented the better argument. Our motion is this, no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. Each debater gets two minutes to summarize his or her position. And speaking first against this motion, Joe Nocera, an op-ed columnist for the New York Times. I do feel that it's clear that 
natural gas has um, reduced emissions. It is demonstrably better than coal. It, it is offering us the possibility, wonderful possibility, to wean ourselves from Mideast oil. And it's been incredibly economically beneficial for the country to have gas plentiful and cheap. I, I want to I I think about it this way. When, when you're arguing against fracking, you're not arguing for a future of renewables. You're arguing for the status quo. You're arguing for, for a world where coal is still the dominant power generation, where oil is still the, the fundamental fuel that we use to transport ourselves, where all the problems that we have today that have been brought about by the way we use energy are still with us. What I would ask the other side to think about is, you know, what does the future look like if we don't have fracking? What does the future look like if we don't have this wonderful source of natural gas, this abundant source of gas that we've been given? I don't think the future looks all that well, all that good. Thank you very much. Thank you, General Sarah. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And here to summarize her position in support of this motion, Kate Hudson, Watershed Program Director for Riverkeeper. Having heard what our opponents have said here tonight, you might think we should not be concerned about the impacts of fracking. In their view, any problems we have now will be fixed with golden rules, more regulation, and hopes of improved technology. Given the continued risk of harm and all of fracking's costs, weighed against its limited benefits for most, it is beyond dispute that the natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. Simply ask the mothers of children who tend the Red Hawk Elementary School in the Front Range town of Erie, Colorado. Last fall, there were children who stayed home from school with intestinal and breathing problems due to the hundreds of oil drill rigs, in, uh, gas drill rigs in the region. Then, the industry lo- insisted on locating gas wells a few hundred yards from the school. Parents and children joined together to protest the new wells, and the town put a temporary moratorium on new permits. But that does not apply to the already permitted elementary school site. So this summer, as drilling takes place, teenage boys will have football practice in the shadow of operating drill rigs. The families of Erie make it clear if this uncontrolled experiment, which is the natural gas boom, is allowed to continue Homeowners, farmers, schools, and hospitals whose neighbors agree to lease will have no choice. But we have a choice now. The shale gas boom is doing more harm than good, and we urge you all to say no fracking way. Thank you, Kate Hudson. And that is our motion, no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And here to summarize her position against the motion, Sue Tierney, a former assistant secretary for policy at the U.S. Department of Energy. I was all... I was also Secretary of Environmental Affairs in Massachusetts, head of the Environmental Police, head of environmental regulation. I came into this field because I grew up in Southern California and couldn't stand the fact that we couldn't see the mountains from where I live. I went into energy because it seemed to me it was an unbelievably complicated world in which you had these environmental impacts which were so compelling, and yet you had everybody using cars and a variety of things. In the 30 years that I've been in the energy and environmental fields, I have never seen more polarizing and demonizing discussions as now exist on shale gas. The reason I bring this up is this polarizing part of it makes it impossible 
for the two sides to find the middle ground. We need to stop demonizing this particular fuel because if we do that, we kill it, and we kill not only the, uh, in the benefits that Joe just described, but we get back to coal. And the rea- that is the reality uh, of our, that, we, that we face. And I urge you for that reason to vote against this uh, proposition. Thank you, Sue Tierney. Our motion is no fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. And here to summarize her position in support of the motion, no fracking way, Deborah Goldberg, managing attorney at Earth Justice. I'd like to close with two of my favorite quotes from my opponents. In February of this year, Joe Nocera wrote, how much methane leaks into the air as a result of fracking? Incredibly, nobody knows. In May of this year, Sue Tierney said on NPR, 50 years from now, are we really going to be wondering if we really screwed up because we went on this big gas boom? You really wouldn't want to be messing that up. And I agree. We don't know. And we really don't want to be messing that up. And that means we need to scale back slow down, and resist the boom mentality. We need to take the time to let the science catch up with the practice and the safeguards catch up with the science. We need the resources to ensure that the rules we have in place are vigorously enforced. There's no rush. The gas has been there for millions of years. It's not going away. Finally, we have to ignore the advertising slogans. The demonizing goes on on both sides filling the airwaves, and stop living in a fantasy world of endless fossil fuel consumption without consequences. We need to restart the conversation about putting a price on carbon, and we need to develop a real, meaningful energy policy. Not all of the above. That's no policy at all. Thank you very much, Deborah Goldberg. And that concludes round three and this Intelligence Squared debate. And now it's time to find which side you feel has argued best. Remember, we had you vote at the beginning of the debate on where you stood on this motion. No fracking way. The natural gas boom is doing more harm than good. You've heard the arguments. We want to ask you to judge which side presented their arguments best. Uh, If you're for the motion, it means you're saying no fracking way. If you're against the motion, you're disagreeing with no fracking way. Before the debate, 38% of you were for the motion, 38% against, evenly split, and 24% were undecided. After the debate, 53% of you are for the motion, no fracking way. That's up 15%. 42% are against. That's up only 4%. 5% are undecided. That means the team arguing for the motion, no fracking way, has won this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan of Intelligence Squared U.S., and we'll see you next time. This debate, presented by the Intelligence Squared U.S. Foundation and the Aspen Ideas Festival, with the support of the American Clean Skies Foundation, was held in front of a live audience at the Aspen District Theater. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org forward slash Intelligence Squared. Want to get in on the debate? Follow Intelligence Squared on Twitter and jump in on the conversation. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.